chapter 10, Christian Character. The character of the Christian is shown by his daily life, said Christ. Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Our Savior compares himself to a vine of which his followers are the branches. He plainly declares that all who would be his disciples must bring forth fruit, and then he shows how they may become fruitful branches. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. The Apostle Paul describes the fruit which the Christian is to bear. He says that it is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And again, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These precious graces are but the principles of God's law carried out in the life. The law of God is the only true standard of moral perfection. That law was practically exemplified in the life of Christ. He says of himself, I have kept my Father's commandments. Nothing short of this obedience will meet the requirements of God's word. He that abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. We cannot plead that we are unable to do this, for we have the assurance, My grace is sufficient for thee. As we look into the divine mirror, the law of God, we see the exceeding sinfulness of sin and our own lost condition as transgressors. But by repentance and faith we are justified before God and through divine grace enabled to render obedience to His commandments. Love for God and man. Those who have genuine love for God will manifest an earnest desire to know His will and to do it. Says the Apostle John, whose epistles treat so fully upon love. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. The child who loves his parents will show that love by willing obedience. But the selfish, ungrateful child seeks to do as little as possible for his parents, while at the same time desires to enjoy all the privileges granted to the obedient and faithful. The same difference is seen among those who profess to be children of God. Many who know that they are the objects of his love and care and who desire to receive his blessing take no delight in doing his will. They regard God's claims upon them as an unpleasant restraint, his commandments as a grievous yoke. But he who is truly seeking for holiness of heart and life delights in the law of God and mourns only that he falls so far short of meeting its requirements. We are commanded to love one another as Christ has loved us. He has manifested his love by laying down his life to redeem us. The beloved disciple says that we should be willing to lay down our lives for the brethren. For every one that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. If we love Christ, we shall love those who resemble him in life and character. And not only so, but we shall love those who have no hope and are without God in the world. It was to save sinners that Christ left his home in heaven and came to earth to suffer and to die. For this he toiled and agonized and prayed until heartbroken and deserted by those he came to save, he poured out his life on Calvary. Imitating the Pattern Many shrink from such a life as our Savior lived. They feel that it requires too great a sacrifice to imitate the pattern, 
to bring forth fruit in good works and then patiently endure the pruning of God that they may bring forth more fruit. But when the Christian regards himself as only a humble instrument in the hands of Christ and endeavors to faithfully perform every duty relying upon the help which God has promised, then he will wear the yoke of Christ and find it easy. Then he will bear burdens for Christ and pronounce them light. He can look up with courage and with confidence and say, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. If we meet obstacles in our path and faithfully overcome them, if we encounter opposition and reproach and in Christ's name gain the victory, if we bear responsibilities and discharge our duties in the spirit of our Master, then indeed we gain a precious knowledge of His faithfulness and power. We no longer depend upon the experience of others, for we have the witness in ourselves. Like the Samaritans of old, we can say, we have heard Him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The more we contemplate the character of Christ and the more we experience of his saving power, the more keenly shall we realize our own weakness and imperfection, and the more earnestly shall we look to him as our strength and our redeemer. We have no power in ourselves to cleanse the soul temple from its defilement, but as we repent of our sins against God and seek pardon through the merits of Christ, he will impart that faith which works by love and purifies the heart. By faith in Christ and obedience to the law of God, we may be sanctified and thus obtain a fitness for the society of the holy angels and the white-robed redeemed ones in the kingdom of glory. Union with Christ, our privilege. It is not only the privilege but the duty of every Christian to maintain a close union with Christ and to have a rich experience in the things of God. Then his life will be fruitful in good works said Christ, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. When we read the lives of men who have been eminent for their piety, we often regard their experiences and attainments as far beyond our reach. But this is not the case. Christ died for all, and we are assured in his word that he is more willing to give his Holy Spirit to them that ask him than our earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. The prophets and apostles did not perfect Christian character by a miracle. They used the means which God had placed within their reach, and all who will put forth the same effort will secure the same results. Paul's Prayer for the Church In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul sets before them the mystery of the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and then assures them of his earnest prayers for their spiritual prosperity. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. He writes to his Corinthian brethren also, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father 
and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always in your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These words are addressed not only to the church at Corinth, but to all the people of God to the close of time. Every Christian may enjoy the blessing of sanctification. The apostle continues in these words, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same word and in the same judgment. Paul would not have appealed to them to do that which was impossible. Unity is the sure result of Christian perfection. In the epistle to the Colossians also are set forth the glorious privileges vouchsafed to the children of God. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. The Standard of Holiness The Apostle himself was endeavoring to reach the same standard of holiness which he set before his brethren. He writes to the Philippians, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There is a striking contrast between the boastful, self-righteous claims of those who profess to be without sin and the modest language of the apostle. Yet it was the purity and faithfulness of his own life that gave such power to his exhortations to his brethren. The Will of God Paul did not hesitate to enforce upon every suitable occasion the importance of Bible sanctification. He says, Ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 
Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. He bids Titus instruct the church that while they should trust to the merits of Christ for salvation, divine grace dwelling in their hearts will lead to the faithful performance of all the duties of life. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Paul seeks to impress upon our minds the fact that the foundation of all acceptable service to God, as well as the very crown of the Christian graces, is love and that only in the soul where love reigns will the peace of God abide. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Chapter 11, The Christian's Privilege Many who are sincerely seeking for holiness of heart and purity of life seem perplexed and discouraged. They are constantly looking to themselves and lamenting their lack of faith, and because they have no faith, they feel that they cannot claim the blessing of God. These persons mistake feeling for faith. They look above the simplicity of true faith and thus bring great darkness upon their souls. They should turn the mind from self to dwell upon the mercy and goodness of God and to recount His promises and then simply believe that He will fulfill His word. We are not to trust in our faith but in the promises of God. When we repent of our past transgressions of His law and resolve to render obedience in the future, we shall believe that God, for Christ's sake, accepts us and forgives our sins. Darkness and discouragement will sometimes come upon the soul and threaten to overwhelm us, but we should not cast away our confidence. We must keep the eye fixed on Jesus, feeling or no feeling. We should seek to faithfully perform every known duty and then calmly rest in the promises of God. The life of faith. At time, a deep sense of our unworthiness will send a thrill of terror through the soul. But this is no evidence that God has changed toward us or we toward God. No effort should be made to rein the mind up to a certain intensity of emotion. We may not feel today the peace and joy which we felt yesterday, 
but we should by faith grasp the hand of Christ and trust him as fully in the darkness as in the light. Satan may whisper, you are too great a sinner for Christ to save. While you acknowledge that you are indeed sinful and unworthy, you may meet the tempter with a cry, by virtue of the atonement I claim Christ as my Savior. I trust not to my own merits, but to the precious blood of Jesus which cleanseth me. This moment I hang my helpless soul in Christ. The Christian life must be a life of constant living faith, and unyielding trust, a firm reliance upon Christ, will bring peace and assurance to the soul. Resisting Temptation Be not discouraged because your heart seems hard. Every obstacle, every internal foe only increases your need of Christ. He came to take away the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Look to him for special grace to overcome your peculiar faults. When assailed by temptation, steadfastly resist the evil prompting. Say to your soul, How can I dishonor my Redeemer? I have given myself to Christ. I cannot do the works of Satan. Cry to the dear Savior for help to sacrifice every idol and to put away every darling sin. Let the eye of faith see Jesus standing before the Father's throne, presenting his wounded hands as he pleads for you. Believe that strength comes to you through your precious Savior. Viewing with the eye of faith, by faith look upon the crowns laid up for those who shall overcome. Listen to the exultant song of the redeemed. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain and has redeemed us to God. Endeavor to regard these scenes as real. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, in his terrible conflict with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, exclaimed, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. The Savior of the world was revealed to him as looking down from heaven upon him with the deepest interest, and the glorious light of Christ's countenance shone upon Stephen with such brightness that even his enemies saw his face shine like the face of an angel. If we would permit our minds to dwell more upon Christ and the heavenly world, we should find a powerful stimulus and support in fighting the battles of the Lord. Pride and love of the world will lose their power as we contemplate the glories of that better land so soon to be our home. Beside the loveliness of Christ, all earthly attractions will seem of little worth. Let none imagine that without earnest effort on their part they can obtain the assurance of God's love. When the mind has been long permitted to dwell only on earthly things, it is a difficult matter to change the habits of thought. That which the eye sees and the ear hears too often attracts the attention and absorbs the interest. But if we would enter the city of God and look upon Jesus in his glory, we must become accustomed to beholding him with the eye of faith here. The words and character of Christ should be often the subject of our thoughts and of our conversation, and each day sometimes should be especially devoted to prayerful meditation upon these sacred themes. Silencing the Spirit. Sanctification is a daily work. Let none deceive themselves with the belief that God will pardon and bless them while they are trampling upon one of his requirements. 
The willful commission of a known sin silences the witnessing voice of the Spirit and separates the soul from God. Whatever may be the ecstasies of religious feeling, Jesus cannot abide in the heart that disregards the divine law. God will honor those only who honor him. His servants ye are to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. If we indulge anger, lust, covetousness, hatred, selfishness, or any other sin, we become servants of Christ. No man can serve two masters. If we serve sin, we cannot serve Christ. The Christian will feel the promptings of sin, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, but the spirit striveth against the flesh, keeping up a constant warfare. Here's where Christ's help is needed. Human weakness becomes united to divine strength, and faith exclaims, Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Correct religious habits. If we would develop a character which God can accept, we must form correct habits in our religious life. Daily prayer is as essential to growth in grace and even to spiritual life itself as is temporal food to physical well-being. We should accustom ourselves to lift the thoughts often to God in prayer. If the mind wanders, we must bring it back. By persevering effort, habit will finally make it easy. We cannot for one moment separate ourselves from Christ with safety. We may have his presence to attend us at every step, but only by observing the condition which he himself has laid down. Religion must be made the great business of life. Everything else should be held subordinate to this. All our powers of soul, body, and spirit must be engaged in the Christian warfare. We must look to Christ for strength and grace, and we shall gain the victory as surely as Jesus died for us. The value of the soul. We must come nearer to the cross of Christ. Penitence at the foot of the cross is the first lesson of peace we have to learn. The love of Jesus, who can comprehend it? Infinitely more tender and self-denying than a mother's love. If we would know the value of a human soul, we must look in living faith upon the cross and thus begin the study which shall be the science and the song of the redeemed through all eternity. The value of our time and our talents can be estimated only by the greatness of the ransom paid for our redemption. What ingratitude do we manifest toward God when we rob him of his own by withholding from him our affections and our service? Is it too much to give ourselves to him who has sacrificed all for us? Can we choose the friendship of the world before the immortal honors which Christ proffers? to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne? A progressive work. Sanctification is a progressive work. The successive steps are set before us in the words of Peter. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. 
For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is a course by which we may be assured that we shall never fall. Those who are thus working upon the plan of addition in obtaining the Christian graces have the assurance that God will work upon the plan of multiplication in granting them the gifts of His Spirit. Peter addresses those who obtained like precious faith. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. By divine grace all who will may climb the shining steps from earth to heaven, and at last with songs and everlasting joy enter through the gates into the city of God. Our Savior claims all there is of us. He asks our first and holiest thoughts, our purest and most intense affection. If we are indeed partakers of the divine nature, His praise will be continually in our hearts and upon our lips. Our only safety is to surrender our all to Him and to be constantly growing in grace and in the knowledge of the truth. Paul's shout of victory. The Apostle Paul was highly honored of God being taken in holy vision to the third heaven where he looked upon scenes whose glories he was not permitted to reveal. Yet this did not lead him to boastfulness or self-confidence. He realized the importance of constant watchfulness and self-denial and plainly declares, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. Paul suffered for the truth's sake, and yet we hear no complaint from his lips. As he reviews his life of toil and care and sacrifice, he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The shout of victory from God's faithful servant comes down the line to our time. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Though Paul was at last confined in a Roman prison, shut away from the light and air of heaven, cut off from his active labors in the gospel, and momentarily expecting to be condemned to death, yet he did not yield to doubt or despondency, from that gloomy dungeon came his dying testimony, full of a sublime faith and courage that has inspired the hearts of saints and martyrs in all succeeding ages. His words fitly describe the results of that sanctification which we have in these pages endeavored to set forth. I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, 
but unto all them also that love his appearing.